seekers, explorers, and renegades out there, welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lemke. In the current uh, situation in the world today, there's a lot of us that are feeling uh, anxiety and fear and confusion and so forth. So we thought it might be apt to have a conversation about anxiety today. And just for your information, nobody in this conversation is portraying themselves or are in fact medical professionals. So uh, please don't take any of the statements as being uh, uh, any attempt to uh, give advice as to medical advice or uh, diagnose or anything of that kind. If you feel that you do need to seek up medical or professional help, please do so without delay. And also, if you are in an emergency, please look up your local suicide prevention hotline and contact them immediately. Always seek help. That is the best thing to do. Anxiety in itself is a feeling. It's a chain reaction, if you like, or the result of a chain reaction. And if we are aware of the different aspects or links on this chain, then we can then uh, look at where we can interrupt it and where we can control the process that leads to anxiety. And knowing these uh, different chains will also allow us to seek back and find the root to the emotions that cause the anxiety and if we know that then we can deal with the root cause of our anxiety in itself so in today's episode there are some real life examples that some of our members uh, bring to light and uh, we work through them and look at uh, different tools and techniques we can use to uh, deal with these challenges and uh, these are all based on my own experiences and my own research so again not medical advice but uh, they've worked for me and perhaps something you can test for yourself if they work for you so now let's get on with this uh, beautiful discussion and uh, i hope you enjoy it so we are in a situation in the world right now that we are challenged with anxiety fear uh, uncertainty and so forth and uh, so I thought it was appropriate to have this conversation today and perhaps impart some of my experiences personally and uh, some of my uh, knowledge in terms of uh, you know where anxiety comes from how we can deal with it uh, and what different uh, you know what types of anxieties there are so that you for yourself can then start observing and uh, responding to uh, in a in an appropriate way as were. So starting off as always with a quote and this one is coming from the late great uh, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, uh, who's the uh, Vietnamese Buddhist monk that is world famous, has written many books and uh, this comes from his uh, book, The Heart of the Buddha's Teaching, Transforming Suffering into Peace, Joy, and Liberation. Letting go gives us freedom, and freedom is the only condition for happiness. If in our hearts we still cling to anything, anger, anxiety, or possessions, we cannot be free. So what he's talking about here is the concept uh, the Buddhist concept of attachment. Um, and 
I know Barbie and I have had many conversation about the concept of attachment, but uh, uh, it is the, from my perspective, when we cling to something so dearly that it affects our perception of our own experiences. Um, and if we're looking at anxiety as a function of the, this level of attachment, it's really a fear about the future. It's a fear about something that's about to happen. And it might be the immediate future, the next second, but it is related to the future. Depression is a, uh, a regret about the past, whereas anxiety is a fear about the future. Uh, neither of them, neither depression or anxiety is necessarily real in that we can't do anything about it. If we can do something about it, then we can move into empowerment. So the so it's uh, we feel threatened about something. And oftentimes when we look at these future events that we expect to uh, be coming up, we are looking at our future through the lens of our past experiences. So we judge the future based on our past experiences. And that is the attachment part of it. If we release that attachment, we can approach the future uh, with a perspective that we choose. So the challenge we have with anxiety, for example, is that it first, it, it triggers a stress response. So you activate your, uh, the sympathetic nervous system. So it's the fight, flight, or freeze, because there, there's a threat, there's a perceived threat that is coming up. So, uh, for example, uh, if you see an email from your boss and it says, subject line, we need to talk, then that you, it might not actually mean anything, but from your perspective, if you have the experience that when someone said to you before, we need to talk, it means that something bad is going to happen. Then you go into that experience with crap, <laughs> something bad is going to happen. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to get demoted, uh, whatever it may be. But as a matter of fact, he might want to give you a promotion. He just needs to talk, right? So, we judge the situation based on our past experiences and we judge, we have this judgment towards it. Um, and we do that without knowing that we can actually control that. And that's how we tend to move through life if we are riddled with anxiety. Been there, done that, still doing it at times. Um, and it, it, is a, it is a process to move through that. I mean, that's why people go to psychotherapists and work with therapists for a long time to work up the tools and the resources to deal with their anxiety. And so the, when we look at it is recognizing that we have anxiety is the first step. 
as with many things, recognizing that we have a challenge that we need to deal with is the first step of any uh, type of healing. You know, if you cut your finger and you don't realize it, uh, then you can't, you can't put a plaster on it. You can't stop the bleeding. Uh, the body is going to have to do that on itself and uh, it's going to take a little bit longer. Uh, but if you realize that you cut yourself and you realize that you have the bleeding, okay, you can clean the wound, you can put a plaster on it and make sure it uh, stops bleeding quicker. Um, and then you're also directing your energy towards it and then your body can start dealing with the healing uh, in a much more efficient way. So it's uh, taking that first step and re realizing that, oh yes, I, I do have a challenge with anxiety or I, I move into anxiety. So the first thing that we need to determine is, is uh, so we know that it's a fear, right? It's a fear of a future event, the perceived future event. Now, is this fear a notional or is it a fear of something real? So if you're sitting in a bomb shelter in Kiev, yes, it is a real threat that is out there. Right, so dealing with that anxiety is going to be slightly different than if it's your boss saying we need to talk. Right, it's going to generate the same response in your body. The fear is going to be no different, and your body is going to the body reaction is going to be exactly the same. Now, depending on your level of anxiety, the or the, uh, the boss saying we need to talk might throw you into a, a stress response that will then ultimately react in, uh, or uh, cause a, a panic attack. Now, that is an uh, anxiety level where you are oftentimes, it's impairing your, your, your way of living. So it is becoming a, a problem in your life, right? And I, I think a lot of times when we are in those situations, it's, it is really challenging to, uh, to see that we are able to move through that and, and actually control that uh, anxiety. But it is possible, and there are tools that you can use. Um, and before we move on with this, obviously, if you are impaired because of depression, anxiety, whatever it may be, always going to seek out professional uh, professional help. Uh, don't wait for it. Go and seek help. Uh, it is the brave thing to do. Uh, just struggling on your own um, is just going to take a, uh, take a lot longer for you to work through it. So going out there and finding people that can assist you and provide you with the tools and resources to work through it uh, is going to allow you to get back on track a lot quicker. So do the brave thing, seek help. So looking at uh, the notional fear, uh, it really is nothing that exists. At that moment that you see the email coming from your boss saying, we need to talk, there really is, the fear is notional. There is no danger in that, or rather at that point, we don't know if there is a danger, but we perceive there to be one. So we build it up in our body and we trigger the, um, 
uh, autonomic nervous system with the parasympathetic or the sympathetic nervous system in this case, the fight, fleet, uh, fight, flight, or freeze uh, response uh, to take action. So, what we want to do is to be able to control that or moderate that response. Because once we go into that, uh, the uh, fight, flight, or freeze response, there are going to be a number of different uh, physiological responses, like the blood is going to go to your extremities, your vision is going to narrow, um, your digestion is going to stop, for example. So we can do a test right now. You can test yourself. Um, when, if you take a deep breath from your stomach, so expand your stomach and draw in air through your nose, and just notice how, how does your stomach feel? Is there a little bit of tightness? Does it feel, feel constricted? Are you, are you feeling challenged in expanding your stomach? Then that could be an indication that you have a stress response going. And for me, it's one of these things I have to release several times a day because it, uh, I'm, I'm one of these people that tend to kind of trigger this uh, response system quite a lot. Um, but I've developed the technique so I can release it. Um, and uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but that's a way for me to know, okay, now my stress response is triggering. I might not know exactly why, uh, and we're going to talk about that as well, but um, at least I can then go in and start working with releasing the uh, stress response. But oftentimes, if we, if we don't have the tools, that stress response will then carry on. And uh, if it goes on uncontrolled, it will then just perpetuate itself and we can go into a, a much more serious panic attack. And uh, certainly we want to avoid that and um, uh, have the tools to do that. Now, when we go into, we would notice that we have this anxiety going on and it's emotional anxiety. So we take the example again of the boss sending the email saying, we need to talk. Now you can ask yourself, okay, there is, I don't know. I haven't opened the email yet. I don't know if there's necessarily any danger here, but A, where does this fear come from? So just asking yourself that question will then allow you to uh, kind of set the subconscious to start giving you an answer. It might not come immediately, might come, uh, you know, in an hour, two hours, a day, a week. Just being open to the answer will then allow you to uh, intuitively know that that's the answer. So it might be that you had an experience when you were a child that mimics this experience that you're having now, not necessarily an email from your boss saying, we need to talk, but perhaps your parents divorced when you were young and they said, uh, you know, come here, we need to talk. So now whenever, and, and then in your mind, now as a child, your safety is now, your, your security is now threatened because your parents are splitting up, right? And that is now re-engaging 
in this situation here. Now, it doesn't have to be this explicit. It can be exact in, in wording and so forth. As long as the situation is similar, it can be triggered. So we, we're always looking at this, what is the original sensitizing event, or also called the core wounding? And this is where we tend to act if we're un unaware or we don't know or notice our, uh, the emotions coming up, in this case being fear, we start to act from that. So we go into a reactionary mode as opposed to being in control of our, uh, the actions we take. Um, so let's move over a little bit to the fear of something real. Uh, which clearly, uh, you know, has a totally different situation to it. Um, you're in the midst of it. Uh, there is a clear and present danger that you need to deal with. So, you know, in this case, this is where you, you sink to your lowest level of preparedness. So if you're prepared or if you've done the work previously to be able to handle this situation, you can then react in a way that is going to be beneficial for you and people around you. So say there is, you're in a car accident or something like that, and you make it out of the car, there's wounded people all around you, uh, someone who's a trained medic, for example, will know exactly what to do because they they've not that they've been necessarily desensitized to the situation but they they've their mind and their body has been in this situation before and been trained for this situation so they can move in and start prioritizing in a uh, in a way that is going to be beneficial at the same time if you're looking at a wartime situation soldiers um and this is why in the military we would, uh, you know, mimic the uh, kind of a, a combat situation as closely as possible so that we would train ourselves to be able to react in an appropriate manner when we actually get to the stage. So this is why you have live fire exercises, for example, so you know what it feels like when there are bullets flying about and stuff like that. Uh, now, if you're a civilian, obviously, and you end up in a situation like that, you're not, you don't have that level of preparedness, but you can prepare your body for it. You can prepare your body for the response that is going to happen. Um, so we, we have the, you know, the, the desensitization, if you like, or the uh, kind of preparing your mind for what you're going to experience. Um, but in this case, if you're a civilian and you're in this situation, often, and you can see this in the reports right now from Ukraine, for example, that people say, I've stopped crying. So what the, what's happening is that the mind is saying, okay, well, this is the situation. This is the quote unquote new normal. So I need to move into a different state of being or state of mind. So oftentimes what happens is that you suppress the experience that the emotional experience just, and you go into survival mode 
and then that becomes the delayed effect. And then you're going to, uh, at some later level, probably, possibly move into a PTSD uh, situation with PTSD, post-traumatic uh, stress disorder. Um, because, you know, what you suppress will then come up to the surface to be dealt with at a later time. Because at this time, uh, it's now more important for you to physically survive. And therefore, you know, we have these uh, things or the physiological response and you have the the psychological response so that you can move into uh, just survival right and which is really important to recognize even if you're not in a wartime situation if you're in a car accident or you're in a hostile situation you know that can happen to any of us um being able to control your the way that you act so that you can act in a calm and uh, calculating for your own safety's uh, manner will then help you to move through in a uh, uh, in a much more uh, recent way if you like um, so now we again if we if we have this delayed effect we we kind of suppress this uh, we can actually store this kind of trauma in our body, in our cells, in our physical self. So our bodies, when we come up against um, triggers in the future, your body can react before your mind doesn't even have to engage. Uh, and this is one of these uh, interesting things in psychology that they're now starting to discover is that your, your body has a response mechanism to psychological or mental triggers all of, it, all of its own. Um, and it's, so, it's a case where it's so embedded that your brain doesn't even have to engage. So it, to me, it seems like it's more stored in the uh, auto, uh, um, autonom uh, autonomic uh, uh, nervous system or the vagus nerve, which is part of that. Um, and of course, you can store in the uh, uh, the mind as well, the brain, which uh, in the subconscious or in the conscious uh, mind as well. Uh, so we can get triggered at different levels. How do we prepare? So I said before that you know we sink to our lowest level of preparedness, uh, as opposed to you know we always say that it's always the in crisis the best of a uh, best in people come out. Um, but it's only the best in the ones that are prepared at that level uh, that comes out. So if we work through a preparing, so for example, we're dealing with our core wounds uh, is the first step, uh, one of the first steps, because once we've dealt with that, there's nothing left to trigger us from that perspective. So we, we can approach each uh, new event or future event from a uh, new perspective. We don't need to approach it from a perspective of this is what happened in the past, so this is probably going to happen in the future too. We can say, well, that's all right. You know, whatever is going to happen is going to happen, and I'm going to be fine because I've survived everything thus far, so we'll just move through it. Um, 
So working with that uh, will then allow us to remove the the triggers uh, within ourselves. Um, we're also approaching, teach ourselves to approach our experiences from a different level. Uh, so many of you will have heard me talking about observing our own experiences. So training or practicing ourselves to move through life with observing ourselves. So when we have a trigger, we can uh, allow the emotion to come up and uh, we can in, uh, kind of intercept the, the trigger for the thought process. Uh, so when, the, when you get that email from the boss, you can have the emotion coming up with the fear and you can say, hmm, interesting, I have fear coming up. I wonder why that is. Instead of going into, oh, my God, I have this email. He wants to talk. Well, she wants to talk. What's going on? And you, you kind of start spinning out of control. So if you can gain control of your thought process, then you don't need to perpetuate that emotion. You don't uh, attach to the emotion. Um, you can allow the emotion to just release out of your body. Um, now, in the, if we look at the, the, the emotion as an energy, what we know about energy is that it constantly wants to move. Unless we find a container to, to uh, hold the energy, like a battery or something like that, or in our case, our body, um, and there's something to contain it, then the emotion and the energy will dissipate. So when, we, when there's an energy or an emotion that is stuck in our body, just know that we are the ones holding on to it. There's nothing external. There's nothing in our body that holds on to it. It's us holding on to it. And us choosing to let it go is really all it takes. So if we're holding anger towards someone, friend, family member, whatever, we're the ones holding on to it. We can say, you know what? It's okay. I accept what happened and I have compassion for this person and I forgive them. I forgive myself for whatever I, my part of it was. Guess what? All the experiences you have, the common denominator is yourself. So when we, when we look at our experiences, we, we always have something to do with it. Um, if we then decide to hold on to it and say, you know what? Nope, I'm not going to forgive. I can't accept, etc., uh, etc. Et then, as long and that's perfectly fine. But as long as we know that we are the ones that are in control and we are the ones holding on to it, and we have that choice. Go ahead, Cam. Thanks, Christopher. I, I completely understand what you're saying. How? If you are in the process of, or you have forgiven someone in, in what you feel is forgiveness, um, I'm talking about someone passing away, how, how do you gauge that you actually have forgiven them so that when they have passed on, that you are not filled with this regret of, I should, you know, is, is that dealing with it within that process that they have passed now that you are, actually were comfortable? Um, uh, are, you, are you talking about them? Are you talking about an experience uh, in your own life? I'm talking about an experience that recent, yeah, recent experience.
experience of possibly my father passing. And I thought uh, I went through the process of thinking of, of his past transgressions as, as a father. And I, and, I, and I feel like I have forgiven him. But there again, when the reality of him possibly uh, crossing the other side was, have I truly forgiven him? And is there more work that I need to do to, to think that I've forgiven and feel that I have forgiven him? Uh, I don't want that... Uh, that it's the, 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 that I think I have, and then the situation has arisen that I actually turn around and go, "Act back!" No, I ha hadn't, and uh, now it's too late. Right. Okay. So, first question is: think back uh, to one of his transgressions, bring that memory to light within yourself. How do you feel? Well, I feel I feel that that was him acting with the way he knew he could, and then how he was as a person. And I feel that. Okay, that so we moment, have acceptance was... and compassion there, right? Yeah. Correct. Do, do, yeah. do you have an emotional response to it? Uh, I, I, yeah, I. Well, I have a physical response to that too. I feel that sort of uh, nervousness, pitted feeling, you know, in my right. stomach that it's maybe maybe yeah. that it's not true how I. It's not a true how I feel about it. All right, so there, there are a couple of components here. So what we have to watch out for is the subconscious response and our conscious response. So intellectually, mm -hmm. we say, we understand he was doing this because of this and that. Uh, we understand he was doing his best, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, but yet when we, we recall that memory, there's an emotional response. We feel at un, uh, unease, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that means that we haven't fully healed that part of it. Uh, okay, now, who do you think you need to forgive? Well, I think it's probably, 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 probably both myself and him. Right? Because uh, this... I'd like to... Yeah, I, I think... I would venture to gauge that um, there's a level of guilt within you that you haven't forgiven him before he passed. Mm. And that there is, that he is going to be somehow stuck because there, there is not, you, you haven't forgiven. Mm. So oftentimes we find that the, the one person that we, we forget to forgive is ourselves. As I said before, we are the common denominator for any of our own experiences. If we weren't in the experience, we wouldn't have had that experience. So just by virtue of being in the experience, we need to always forgive ourselves as well. Because we find ourselves in that experience. Okay. Okay, I'm, I'm not saying that is going to be the magical key to it, but I think working through this is from my own experience and what, what I've done is to work through all those levels of compassion, acceptance, forgiveness, and gratitude. So understanding what in this uh, uh, this transgression that you recalled, you know, what is the gift that you, that comes out of it, right? Am I com in okay. complete acceptance of everybody's path? Am I in acceptance of my own path and the path of your father in this case? 
once you have those two components, the forgiveness is automatic. Then you then you move in to say, yes, I have forgiven. And then you so will also you... then you will also understand the gift that is in the experience because there is something for you to learn about yourself. Your dad is just there to uh, be a a uh, mirror, if you like, of your own experience, so that you have a reference point for your own experience, some, so that you can learn something about yourself. It's not you learning about him, it's you learning about yourself. Okay. So that makes what sense? did you say those could, yeah, those two components were? Uh, the two components, the four components. Okay. okay. Compassion, acceptance, forgiveness, and gratitude. Okay, thank you for that. That's very insightful. Very welcome. I think the conundrum which you started off with, which was attachment, and I don't subscribe to the same ideology of attachment as you do. And uh, ultimately, because I think there is the differentiation between when you're a child, you know, I mean, Anna on this call right here has four beautiful children, and they're very attached to her. And they're often all around and they sing beautiful little happy birthday songs and things like that. So it's like, I think because so many people as human beings, they didn't get the attachment that they wanted or desired or needed when they were children, that unfortunately they have maladaptive behaviors in the form of adaption, adaptation later, where you think to yourself, like, you know, you don't really want to attach to other people because you don't really want to need anybody. You don't want to need to have to rely on anybody because people let you down, people disappoint you all these other type of things that you've experienced throughout your life. And so then finally, sometimes people will peek out and then they'll start to be able to say, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and try to trust that, you know, there will be somebody to receive me this time. And, you know, so I think people, they don't give up, but it's still from the perspective of it is important because we are social beings. We are social animals that need to be with other people. And so when you have, you know, specifically children, they start off with, you know, the breast and then they're held all the time and they're hugged and they're, you know, they're kissed. And there was a study that was actually done that said that, um, you know, infant mortality is the lowest in Hispanic babies around the world because the babies never get put down on the floor. They just get passed around to family member to family member who hug them and kiss them and love on them, et cetera. Whereas a lot of other cultures are not that way. In England, they had, you know, sudden infant death syndrome a lot because fact that children were put in cribs and they weren't held and they weren't kissed and they weren't loved and you have that same thing I, I watched a study also about Chernobyl with the orphanages where there are a lot of those children who cannot attach they're not capable of attaching to other human beings because they have been literally left on their own so I would just posit it out there in the sense of where I don't think there's anything wrong with attachment per se. I think when it becomes unhealthy, such as in a situation like codependency, that's a completely different situation. But I think that kind of the idea of attaching to people or needing people or desiring to be around people that will be part of your community, there isn't anything wrong with that per se. And I think the anxiety comes, I mean, in the UK, you guys started a loneliness commission from the government two years ago or so, mm -hmm. because there's some who are lonely and they're by themselves and they have nobody to attach to that are elderly. So this is the part about where I think as a society, we need to make it that it's not wrong to want to connect and attach to each other, but how do we do that in healthy ways? And I know Marissa Peer talks about the fact that when people, you know, a lot of people when they binge eat or they're an emotional eater, 
they go to ice cream because ice cream is creamy and it's sweet, just like mother's milk. It's a very, very similar mouth sensation. And so, you know, if you look at Eric Erickson's psychology work, it's that kind of oral fixation of where a lot of people get into those kind of different spaces. So, you know, especially now when you have a lot of people that don't have anything, they're going to have to rely on people in a way that they've never had to rely on people ever before in their entire lives. And that's something where it's going to be positive in some places, but it's also negative. And you, you lived in, in New York city after nine 11. So, I mean, you know, that's something of where you experienced the whole city coming together and attaching themselves in a certain particular way. But then once a crisis is gone, it's like people decide, Oh, it's over. We don't need to attach anymore. And then they're out of it. So I just wanted to put that into the conversation. Yeah, I appreciate that, Barbie. And apart from the fact that you now killed my affection for ice cream forevermore, but you know, I appreciate the, <laughs> I appreciate the the uh, the comments. And uh, yeah, I, absolutely, I agree. The human connection is super important. And once, if you move through your formative years with uh, having uh, free or uh, un, uh, unhindered availability to human connection, then your your uh, own level of assurance that you have you can have access to uh, human connection allows you to detach from the need, and that that's. That's the differentiation here is the attachment to the need, right? So it's the attachment to the need for the ice cream. It's attachment to the need for the alcohol, the attachment to the need for uh, the anxiety. Um, so um, attaching your happiness to someone else, that's the unhealthy attachment that I'm talking about. Uh, knowing that there are people out there you know, trusting that there are people out there that love and care for you. You just might not have met them yet. I'm not talking about you here in this case, Barbie. I'm just saying you as a general term. Um, and having that trust allows you to detach from the need to have that immediate uh, satisfaction. Uh, so that trusting that if you move out and you open yourself up to the opportunity that is going to uh, that it's going to be there and that's the, uh, the that's the attachment i'm talking about but yes absolutely the human connection or uh, be, being able to quote unquote attach to another person from a uh, connection point of view is uh, critical for our survival absolutely if we don't have that that shortens our lifespan by quite a lot actually um so uh thank you for bringing that up so we could just make that differentiation i appreciate that Barbie. thank you um so we had a question on the on the um, uh, chat here the uh, emotional regulation is a journey and i feel it can be quite heavy to sit with feelings and reflecting on them uh, at on a deeper level any advice you can give to make it easier little by little doing something you know it's not all or nothing it's all or something but taking that step to allow yourself well let me put it like this 
the reason we have these suppressed emotions is because we weren't resourced to deal with them to begin with. It doesn't mean that they're, they've disappeared. It just means that we're storing them somewhere. And at some point they will come up and say, hello, I now want to be deal dealt with. So controlling that release of those emotions uh, it, or to allow yourself to experience those emotions in a controlled fashion will then allow you to do it in a, uh, in a, in a way that is going to be appropriate for you at that time. And if you can continuously resource yourself with tools, and we're going to talk about some of the tools here, will then allow you to move through that easier. So if you take the, the uh, four uh, concepts I talked about before, com uh, compassion, acceptance, forgiveness, and gratitude. If you look at any past experiences with those in mind, so you start with compassion, then oftentimes what we do when we, when we, when we have that strong emotional reaction to a past experience, it is because we are placing judgment on it. So what we want to do is try to say, okay, well, I'm going to look at this situation without judgment. So I move into with, it, with compassion. Because if you start to look at, uh, if we take Cam's uh, experience here with his dad, now what his dad did, we don't know that, but we assume that uh, obviously it was a transgression of some sort. For him to look at the transgression with the compassion, that's not necessary. But he can say, I wonder what my dad has experienced in order for him to show up and act in that way. Because he is acting from his core wounding. Now, people that haven't dealt with their core wounding, uh, and Barbie and I are co-founders in a beautiful program about this, uh, the infinity.life. If uh, anybody's interested in checking that out, it's a way for uh, to work through that. Uh, so once you can sit down and you can have compassion for anyone's child that they have within them, because they are a product of their experiences. They are a product of their own conditioning as well as we are products of our own conditioning that comes from our parents, our society, our religion, our backgrounds and all of that. Now, when we become conscious of that, we can then start working through it. So we can look at our rules, like uh, Vision Lakiani talks about, uh, bullshit rules. What do I agree with? What don't I agree with? And we can start making decisions for ourselves, what is authentically ours. So when we do that, then we can look at people around us and start saying, you know what? That person is acting from their core wounding. So obviously, they must have had a traumatic experience that causes them to show up this way. So now I can show compassion for their childhood experience I don't need to have compassion for the way they're acting. So my litmus test, uh, <laughs> I use to gauge my, my uh, compassion is that I will sit down with Hitler 
and I will show compassion for the child that he once was. I don't need to show compassion for the person he became. I can show compassion for the person he, or the child that he was. So now that then takes you away from the person that is, or the, the personality or the, the person or the, uh, that shows up to um, show you something about yourself. And you can now see them from a different perspective. You can start to uh, have an understanding, empathy for their experience. And empathy for that they're still reacting from their core wounding. And then you can move in to accept that you have your own journey and that they've showed up in your life to teach you something about yourself. And then having acceptance that they have their journey. And if they want to make changes in their life, you'd be happy to be there for them and hold space for that. If they're not ready to do that, you have acceptance for that too, because that's their journey. And equally, they are there to teach you or to allow you to learn something about yourself. You're showing up in their life, giving them an opportunity to learn something about themselves. And if they choose not to do that, that's what we accept. That's what we accept their choice and their free will to do or not to do, right? And then once you've secured those two, that allows you to move through the emotions of that experience from a different perspective with compassion and acceptance. And that then allows you to allow these emotions to float out of you. And the beauty of having these emotions uh, kind of uh, dissipate out from you is that you are now gaining in emotional intelligence and you're becoming a more empathetic person. Because once you've experienced the emotion, when someone else experiences that same emotion, you can now recognize that within someone else. So you will move to become more heart-centered. You will, there's a lot of benefits that you will work through that. So I hope that answers, gives you a bit of a insight that uh, I hope that uh, helps you on your journey. Um, so moving on to the next stage here in preparedness, uh, grounding uh, is a big challenge for all of us suffering from anxiety. Uh, we tend to, once we get triggered with anxiety, we tend to kind of energy moves up around our head somewhere and we don't feel connected to the, uh, the, the kind of reality construct that we're finding ourselves in. So, uh, and I'm going to post in the, in the show notes and also in the group a link to a free meditation that you can download, uh, which is called uh, Emergency Grounding Technique. Um, and it's really a visualization to help you uh, ground your energy and bring your, yourself into your own body so that you can be more present uh, with the experience that you're having. Because we, Because we've learned that experiencing emotions so the fear that comes up uh, when you're having this anxiety 
the fear that comes up is uncomfortable. And we're told as children to not experience our emotions. So when that trigger happens, our first response is to, well, I don't like this. I don't feel comfortable with this. Get me out of this body. So that's what we do. But the whole part of <laughs> point with it is to experience the emotion. So we, we, we got to go back into our body and allow ourselves to say, you know what? Pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. It's my perception of the emotion that makes me suffer from it. And allowing that pain to move through us uh, without judgment will then release it a lot quicker. So the grounding then allows you to experience your, uh, your body, experience the emotion. Um, and the more we do that, next time you come up against that same fear, you're going to say, oh, oh, it's that fear again. That's all right. We can let that float out. That's not a problem. So we, we're now preparing ourselves. We, we're creating this preparedness. Meditation, of course, is uh, key in this as well. To because when we practice meditation, we bring that experience into our daily lives so that we are able to look at our experiences from a different perspective. We are moving our awareness into a different space. We're moving out of our head. It's when we are in our head and we move into a crisis situation that our brain kind of locks up because it's not fast enough to bring in all the imp inputs to take the appropriate reaction or take appropriate action it doesn't it's not capable or it's not built for being able to prioritize in a way that we're going to maximize how we get out of that situation safely so Meditation, will, and we bring that experience of meditation in so that we trust our intuition, we trust our wisdom, we trust that we are, if we stay calm, that we are able to prioritize in a way that is going to uh, benefit us and uh, be for our highest good. Observing our own experiences, we talked about. And one of the really important aspects is our breathing. Because if you notice, once you get stressed and you get move into anxiety, the first thing we're going to do is to shallow breathe. Our breath moves up to the top of our lungs and we're, we're going to start breathing through our mouth and it's going to be... <laughs> right? So we're creating this and it, it is really... Uh, if you are going to run, uh, you're building up this stress level, you're getting all the adrenaline into your muscles. Yeah, that's important. But when you have an email from your boss saying, we need to talk, yeah, not so useful, right? So we, we don't need that stress response. We're not running away from a tiger, you know? So noticing how we breathe and practicing so if anybody here, you know, notice how you're breathing on a, on a, in a normal case, A, do you breathe from your lungs or do you breathe from your diaphragm? Do you breathe through your nose or your mouth? 
Now, the, there's a brilliant book called uh, uh, Breathe or Breath, uh, The New Science of the Lost Art by James Nestor. And I've promoted that book several times before, but I warmly recommend it. Uh, and there talks about a lot of these studies of breathing techniques. And I mean, we all know about pranayamas and, you know, the different breathing techniques of the Buddhist monks. You have, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, Tomo breathing, where you, or the Wim Hof method, et cetera, et cetera. And the whole point with these different breathing techniques is to prepare your body for these stressful situations, with these situations where you come up against anxiety and stress and fear. So the same way a, a paramedic or a doctor would prepare to deal with a crisis situation in a accident, a place of accident or in an uh, ER, or a soldier would prepare to deal with a wartime combat situation, you're doing the same thing, creating that environment within you to train your body to rea react uh, appropriately. Go ahead, Cam. Yeah, so Chris, just uh, I've been waking up like I, I'm, I'm asleep and all of a sudden I, I wake up because I can feel my body vibrating and I'm anxious. Is there a way in which you can say that you, one could control that to be able to fall back asleep without having to get out of bed or go through a routine of like, because it's not necessarily my breathing because I'm, I'm, I'm asleep, but then I, I, there's this nervous energy and then my thought processes start kicking off about what I'm anxious about. Right. Um, so, so, yeah, so something's triggering my mind, yeah. So when you are sleeping, and you will notice uh, when you're having dreams, um, you could be in a most horrific of situations when you're dreaming, and it's that journey of waking up that your mind remembers that oh, crap, this is a situation that's uncomfortable. I better start reacting to this situation. And when you're awake, you're suddenly in a state of anxiety or state of fear or whatever it may be. When you're in the dream state, your brain doesn't react to that. So if you're having a lucid dream, for example, and you're flying, Normally, your brain should react like, uh, yeah, this shouldn't be possible. And uh, if I fall from here, I'm going to die, right? But it doesn't react that way because you're in a dream state. It's only when you move from your dream or you kind of come out of your dream state and you, you have part of that experience with you as a memory and you start to come out, uh, out of the dream or out of the sleeping state that you start, your brain starts to react to it because you have that memory fresh in your consciousness. Um, so the, the uh, experience, uh, once you, uh, in, in your dream state, you don't have that experience. It's only when you start to come out of uh, the uh, into a waking state. Um, so I'm going to give you a couple of tricks here when we uh, kind of talk about uh, when you are in the situation, how to, uh, there's a couple of 
ways you can uh, deal with that just to kind of calm down the system as it were. Um, but in terms of going back to sleep, uh, because now oftentimes what happens is that if you're not in a situation where you're observing your, the, the reaction and you can change your mind or your thinking about it, uh, your mind is now going to perpetuate the experience because your, your thinking is going to, you go into crisis thinking, right? Um, so one thing I tend to do is I turn around and I say, oh, isn't this nice? I have another few hours to sleep. Oh, isn't this bed so comfortable? It's so nice and warm. And I just get to sleep for a few more hours. Isn't that fantastic? So taking control of your thought process and thinking about, you know, whatever you want to think about um, is the first step. So interrupting, uh, pattern interrupts. So interrupting that thought process. And that's exactly what we do when we're observing our experiences and we have the fear coming up. Instead of allowing the fear to perpetuate or to trigger our thought process in that pattern that we've uh, been conditioned in, we interrupt it by taking control of our thought process, by asking those uh, kind of uh, neutral questions. Oh, interesting. I got fear coming up. Why is that? Where does that come from? So we're not judging our fear. We're not judging our experience, which is really important because if we start judging it, then we're attaching to a different type of experience. Then we're bringing guilt and shame. Oh, I shouldn't be feeling this fear. Oh no, why do I feel, you know, we don't want to do, go down that route either because then we're <laughs> replacing it with guilt. Um, we're, we're trying to elevate our frequency as opposed to keep it keeping it low. So let me um, let's go. We'll go into that a little bit later, and we, I can give you some uh, techniques there if that's okay, Cam. Um, so the yeah, so the breathing through your nose and into your diaphragm. First of all, the nose has a lot of complicated uh, airwaves. Uh, ways that uh, when you bring air in, it filters out a lot of the uh, crap in the air that you don't want. When you bring them through your mouth, you don't have that. So also when you bring air through your nose, um, it comes through a close to the, I can't remember which part of the brain, but it helps to uh, cool or heat up, whichever it is, uh, part of your brain that is uh, causing part of this uh, elevated state of anxiousness or stress. Now, breathing through your, uh, breathing with your diaphragm is directly connected with uh, uh, the vagus nerve, which is part or the, the, uh, um, the parasympathetic nervous system is part of the vagus nerve. So the rest and digest part, or the, which is part of the autonomic uh, uh, nervous system. So the two parts of the autonomic uh, nervous system is the uh, parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. Parasympathetic is where rest and, uh, rest and digest, it's a normal state, it's where 
so the autonomic uh, nervous system takes care of your heartbeat, your uh, breathing and all of this stuff. But we also tend to send a lot of the subconscious patterns and habits tend to go into that as well. So when we have that uh, uh, anxiety come up all of a sudden, it's uh, being triggered from our subconscious and it goes into the autonomic nervous system and we're, we feel out of control. So we have that overwhelm, right? And this is where we're, we're trying to interrupt that process and we're interrupting that pattern. So when we're breathing through uh, from our diaphragm, <clears throat> we are now starting to regulate the uh, vagus nerve. And because the vagus nerve is part of regulating your heartbeats and your adrenal response and all of this, our breathing now brings down that stress response. So this is why the diaphragm is so important from this perspective. So it's also the brain-gut connection because the diaphragm is right on the digestive system, right? So, uh, and this is all, you know, it's not new research, but it's coming back to light. So there was a lot of research done up until the 50s, until the pharmaceutical companies, surprise, surprise, uh, started coming up with all these drugs to help against anxiety and depression, etc. Um, and suddenly all the research around breathing and uh, using breath to uh, relieve your uh, anxiety and stress and all of this, uh, that kind of stopped. So just as a disclaimer, I'm not a medical profession, professional. I'm, you know, do what your doctor tells you to do, but this is my experience. So, um, and there is also that fact that it stopped. So, but it's coming back. Um, and uh, yeah, the, that book, Breath by uh, James Nestor, uh, talks about a lot of these uh, different uh, studies. <clears throat> so it's, we go into that fight, flight, or freeze mode, we have the ability to go back into the rest and digest, just purely based on how we're breathing. So if we, it's, you know, we are teaching the mind and the body not to react autonomically to these patterns and habits that we have been conditioned with. It should deal with your breathing when you don't need to think about it. It should deal with your heartbeat when you don't need to think about it. So if your heartbeat goes up and you're observing that, then you can use your breathing to bring it down. Because I think there was, there was a yogi who said a person's life is not measured in number of years. It's measured in the number of heartbeats. So if you can slow down your heartbeats, because you, the more <laughs> your, your heart beats, the more you're going to wear out your heart, right? So if you can slow it down, you're going to allow it to beat for a lot longer. Now there might be other organs that break down, but that's a different matter. Um, so it's teaching our body and mind to that you can actually be in control of some of these aspects. And the same thing. I mean, I'll observe myself and I'm like, oh, 
I'm breathing through my through my mouth and I'll take control of my breathing for a bit. Okay, breathing through my nose. Okay. All right. Now I can continue again. So it's training your body to do that as well. Uh, and it may sound strange, but at night I put a tape over my mouth so that I'm not breathing through my mouth. And so I can condition myself during the night to breathe through my nose. Don't have to go up to the toilet in the middle of the night. I don't wake up so often in the middle of the night. Um, a lot of <clears throat> benefits that come out of that. Um, so when you are in the situation where you have been triggered and you are in a, a state of anxiety, a state that fear has been triggered, the first thing you do is observe it. So if you can catch yourself there, bring yourself to uh, an aware, your awareness and kind of observe yourself. So put your hands on your chest, for example, kind of bring yourself out of your head and say, okay, what am I experiencing? And don't be afraid of what you're experiencing because you are going to experience it uh, in terms of what's on the inside. Um, now, of course, if you're in an immediate dangerous situation, you do what you need to do at that particular time. You're not going to be able to sit down and put your hands on your chest and go, okay, I need to observe this, right? Uh, <clears throat> this is more, you know, uh, in the situation where, A, if you resource, if you train yourself to observe yourself, then you can do that in a situation where you, when you're up against uh, danger, because then you can go, okay, and start assessing it to say, okay, what, uh, what is my priority here? So might be your priority might be to help someone, or it might be to uh, eliminate the threat. It might be to, uh, you know, put yourself in safety, whatever it is. But being able to observe yourself, you can then take yourself out of your head and that's the most important part. I like to put myself in my chest or in my heart space. But if you want to put yourself in your, your awareness in your elbow, go right ahead. Uh, as long as you're out of your head, that's the main point. <clears throat> Focus on your breathing. So bring your breath through your nose, in and out, and breathe through your diaphragm. If you want to push out when you breathe in, contract when you breathe uh, Breathe out, go ahead and do that so you can actually use your stomach to uh, control your breath. You can do that. Um, and that's oftentimes helpful because your, your stomach is constricting because the blood flow is limiting to your stomach. So now it's constricting and it's actually making it harder to breathe from your diaphragm then it could be helpful to push it out, to just expand and expand your energy that way too. And here's for, uh, for you, Cam, uh, box breathing. I'm quite sure several of you are going to be familiar with that. So essentially you imagine a box, square box in front of you, and it's four seconds per side, if you like. You breathe in for four seconds, you hold your breath for four seconds, you breathe out for four seconds, you hold it for four seconds, breathe in for four seconds, and you do like, and you focus on that 
couple of things happens. Takes you out of your mind because now you focus your your awareness is on this box and to count. You're bringing your breathing into a slowed state, and you're also increasing your uh, carbon dioxide uh, levels in your blood. So you will notice if someone hyperventilating, what they do is they take a paper bag and they breathe into it. That's because when you're hyperventilating, you're over-oxygenating your blood. And that's what happens when you do that shallow breathing. So we want to slow down the breathing. When we also do that, when you slow down the breathing, you slow down your heart rate. You slow down the adrenal response. So now you're, you're shutting down. It's almost like... Like a power transistor or transformator, transformer, shutting down. You're shutting down the sympathetic nervous system, this um, the fight, flight, or freeze response. So, box breathing. Um, and again, doing that grounding visualization, bring yourself within your body. Experience your body. Because if you're out here, you're in your head. So we've got to get back into our body and the visualization then brings you essentially as far down into your legs as you can uh, with your energy. Hi, yes, Chris. Um, thank you for all the shares. I mean, they're so insightful. They really are. Um, what really, what really um resonated with me today is in terms of the anxiety when it actually kicks in like for example this morning I got a text message um to say that I've been in contact with someone who's got coronavirus and um straight away as soon as I got that text message it was first thing in the morning and I thought oh do you know what this is going to be a good day today <laughs> oh and um I reach out for my phone and I see this message and it tells, you know, it's kind of like straight away put me in a state of like freeze. Right. Oh, and I was like, oh no, I have been exposed to a lot of people last week, which I'm quite aware of. So I mm -hmm. went to the dentist twice um, where obviously I wasn't able to wear a mask when I was having my teeth checked um, and I normally well for the past two years I've tried to avoid a lot of these situations and the past week I've been quite exposed at hospital appointments and a lot of places and at the end of the week I did actually think do you know what I've been exposed a lot this week more than I have in the past two years mm -hmm. um, I just hope <laughs> I just hope nothing happens <laughs> well, and <it's> a... <laughs> yeah and it's isn't it interesting how during the past two years i mean i uh, i i avoided covid up until about was it three weeks ago or a month ago uh, and uh, then my youngest daughter my uh, other or both my daughters and i came down with it uh, one after another, of course. So we were isolating for about three weeks, um, and it's if we had not known anything about COVID, mm -hmm. 
do you think you would have reacted to uh, uh, the email uh, the way you did? No, because I just think, okay, for the past couple of days, the symptoms that I've been having and the headache that I've been having for like seven odd days, or even 10 days now, I think, um, and all these flu-like symptoms, mm -hmm. I just put it down to like, oh, it's really cold here. It's two degrees, sometimes goes to zero in the middle of the night, and it's winter. It's, it's kind of standard, really. Yeah, but, so yeah. so so you you're until you get the trigger, you might have COVID. You're not actually mm -hmm. reacting to it. Yeah, I mean, if there was, if I hadn't got that message, then I just exactly. And it, it yeah. is it is because over the past two years we've been conditioned, COVID bad, COVID dangerous, etc. Absolutely, COVID is not to play around with. Uh, please don't, you know. Mm -hmm. I take my my words here as being uh, uh, flippant. Um, I know quite a few people that are, you know, in very uh, situations where if they have it or if they get COVID, they will be uh, not with us any longer. So it's it's not to be messed around with. But mm -hmm. at the same time, it's the way we receive the information about COVID in this case. Uh, that we build up this response system. So again, if you knew nothing about COVID and someone said, oh, you might have COVID, and you have, say you've been, living, uh, been in a coma for the past two years, um, and you wake up and someone sends you a text message saying that you might have COVID, you're like, all right, I don't know what that is. Okay, well, I suppose that good or bad, I don't know. And that's really the key here is, you might have just experienced COVID and that's it. Mm. Or you might come down with fever tomorrow. So the, we it is what we don't know. It's the future event that causes the anxiety, the fear. And the fear in this case is the conditioning that you choose to have taken on because it is um, we choose our perception and uh, it's when we can start regulating our perception of the experience. So during the past two years, uh, all this information about COVID has been going on. And from my perspective, I chose to say, okay, well, if I get COVID, I get COVID. I'm not going to go into fear about it because at the end of the day, it's, a tiny bug that I can't see. So all I can do is to uh, cover myself as much as possible, right? Use uh, face mask and uh, use the uh, hand sanitizers and, you know, stay out of uh, social distancing and so forth. That's all I can do. Beyond that, it is out of my control. So whatever is out of my control. I needn't mm -hmm. fear. If I yeah. get it, I get it. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's just that thinking, that process of going through when you're looking, you know, so when you have the news feeding you all the time that, you know, you need to be scared, you need to be afraid, this is dangerous. Mm -hmm. If you're saying yes, 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 
then that is going to be your perception about it. And you're, you're asking here, what age do we start adapting these unhelpful patterns? It really starts the moment your consciousness comes into that collection of cells in your mother's womb. Because then you're going to take impressions from the outside the womb or outside your mother's body. You're going to take impressions as to you know what nutrition are you getting through the you know the system within there. You're going to have your coming through the birth canal. Uh, that's going to have a, create an impression on you and so forth. So uh, so really, it starts at that level, but. It can also be later in life, like with the uh, pandemic. There's a lot of people now running around with high levels of anxiety because we have been told that we be, have to be afraid, right? And I don't find that helpful. I find it helpful for people to be responsible for their own actions and saying, I can do whatever I can do. But beyond that, it's out of my control, therefore I needn't fear it. Does that make sense, Faz? Yeah, thank you so much for that. I, I really needed to hear that because I just went in a total frenzy at that point, you know, and, and yeah. then I thought later on, why, why didn't I just ground myself? You know the technique. Why haven't you done it? And in the moment, you're just like, sometimes you just just not able to bring that awareness in that yeah. moment and sometimes you just need someone to spell it out to you or, or have some kind of emergency plan on the on my phone or something to be like when you feel like this grounding when you feel like this meditate when you feel like this you know well it, it really goes back into what i was saying about observing your own experience so once you start having that experience if you can observe it before it reaches your head mm. and starts to mess with your thoughts and then your thoughts perpetuate your, your experience, uh, then you can, you can uh, heat it off, you can, or head it off. You can, uh, you can interrupt the thought process and you can direct it in a way that is going to be helpful to you. So I'm also, I'm going to post uh, a link to a meditation I have on my website, which is called a body communication webs uh, body communication uh, meditation. Um, so that it's part of training yourself to observe your own experiences. And this Brilliant. is, you know, a meditation I do every day for myself. So excellent. Well, uh, uh, thank you very much for bringing that up first. Very important and current. So I appreciate that. Hello. I'm so happy for the topic today. And yeah, truly listening to you and everything about COVID. I just like I had COVID past few months and it was quite long because I got it the second time. And I think that the attack of fear was there, but I really focus on the gifts uh, regarding the conversation you had. I focus on the gifts so I can help everyone that will get COVID afterwards. And I was searching what I can learn from this lesson and just searching for supplements, for um, breathing technique and everything. And the thing you just shared uh, do, do make sense because like I, I started realizing before the fear come and I started, I was doing breathing before. So it was much more helpful because if the, the fear was coming and then I was starting, like it took really a bunch of time for me to calm down and return back to myself. 
to find myself centered. Uh, I, 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 I was like also very weak because like of multiple reasons, but like the reason is the fear, the collective fear that is around the topic. And also with the topic in this moment here in Poland, like the fear of the war, like the first mm -hmm. few days, like I really felt the fear because like I didn't know the whole historical reason behind it, the scarcity mindset that is brought from generation to generation back and that they feel completely different but i have my own experience and i have like my own balkan roots that bring me the power of reacting and like i really think is we we are the one that choose how we behave and we are the one that choose um at a certain point of time or childhood if, if we choose the gifts or we choose the weakness the victim and we can just reframe everything. I really do believe, like, just uh, as you do beautifully in the infinity life, like, it's not that you will change, but you will be in control. You will be in power of bringing up positive thoughts, sharing positive, like, certain, like, just seeing the bright side uh, and giving hope. I think it makes you anyway feel better and just not feeling the pain that deep as the others. And you have the possibility to, to choose what you do at that moment when you're at the bright side, mm. because the fear is not at a level that normally appears between the others. So the, I, I believe everything starts very long time ago. We can now work on it, change it, um, shape it, but like we, we need really to remove that blockages from long time ago because they do block us and they do mm -hmm. like, program us in some way that is not always helpful or useful for us today. Thank you. Thank you very much, Anna. And uh, for sure, if you're looking at, uh, you know, uh, ancestral karma, so, you know, trauma that has been experienced in your ancestral line will also be carried down in the way that each generation is raised. So now, if say there's some trauma that was experienced five generations ago in my family, I'm going to have that trauma within me because that, that's part of how I, I was raised, then I'm not gonna make that, be able to make that conscious link back to that, but understanding my conditioning and my, uh, kind of uh, programming, if you like, from when I was a child, I can then look at my parents and say, as I said before, when I was talking to Cam, understanding their experiences and say, okay, well, what did they experience as children? You know, did they have a similar experience? Or, it, you know, <laughs> my father used to say to uh, my mother, if I ever turn out like my, my father, you, you need to tell me, you need to stop me. And uh, my, my grandfather could be quite dismissive of other people. So, of course, when uh, he started acting like my uh, grandfather, my mother told him and he said, oh, no, I don't. I certainly don't do that. So, yeah, uh, <laughs> it takes a level of consciousness and a level of uh, self-reflection and awareness to also... Uh, take these steps because if you don't do that then you're going to continue to exist in your head 
right? Uh, but if you allow yourself to reflect on this, you can then see others' experiences and you can see uh, that light within them as well. That, you know, we all have that child version of ourselves within ourselves. Uh, that is, you know, it is the uh, original innocence um, that we have. Um, and everything else that is put on top of that is through experiences and conditioning and uh, what people have told us and we've accepted as our truth. Now, if we can move away from that and say, you know what? Yes, I understand COVID is, is a dangerous uh, virus and for certain people, and we don't quite understand it fully yet, uh, it could be dangerous for me, but I don't know. It's not something I can control. So therefore, until I end up in that situation, there is no reason for me to fear it. Yes, take the precautions I need to do, but I don't need to bring that fear within myself. And that's the, that's the difference between being in control uh, as opposed to uh, surrendering to anxiety. So there's a couple of things, a couple of questions I would like to uh, impart for you to when, when, uh, when you are, when, if you are experiencing, well, really any experience in any situation, but in particular, if you have anxiety and uh, you are going through that, ask yourself, what is my perception of this situation? So my boss is sending me the email. We need to talk. What is my perception of that? What's my perception of we need to talk? What does it mean? Does it mean anything? Does it need to mean anything? Um, are there other likely scenarios that uh, to the one I have that could be true? Could it be that he sim well, she simply wants to give me a promotion or give me a raise? Is that possible? I don't know, right? I, so what's my relationship with the future event? And how can you flip the script to serve your desires or to serve how you want to experience it? Because your subconscious, your programming, your conditioning is choosing for you to experience fear in this situation. But because the situation hasn't happened yet, you can choose how you experience it up until the point it reveals itself. Now, once it reveals itself, then you can choose how you react to that. So say your boss wants to fire you and that's why he or she needs to talk. Then you can react with fear to that or you can react with excitement because also very important here, and I should have brought this up <laughs> at the very beginning, your brain does not know the difference between fear and excitement. So a race driver who's zipping around a, a racetrack uh, at 250 miles an hour, uh, a normal person, quote unquote, uh, would be uh, quite scary. Uh, if you're a passenger of uh, that race car, then you, <laughs> you will be scared. But the race driver is not scared. He, he finds it exciting because he's chosen to find it exciting. So it's only 
when our brains, when we tell our brains how it should react to the signals that the brain gets, that we then do the uh, conditioning. So when that email comes in from the boss, uh, we need to talk. Instead of your brain reacting with fear, you can tell your brain, oh, this is exciting. Oh, I wonder if I'm going to get fired. If I get fired, I can find a new opportunity. Because the only way I'm going to find a new opportunity is to release myself from my current responsibilities. And that's a choice. So keep in mind, choice is a superpower. It is your original superpower, and you choose how you perceive your environment, you perceive how you perceive your future events, and how you show up in those experiences. So I appreciate everybody hanging in there, and I hope it's been beneficial to you all. And it's like they say about planting trees, the best time to plant a tree was a decade ago, the second best is right now. So that is fully applicable to you know, how we work on preparing ourselves for these different experiences that we might have coming up in the future and doing the work with ourselves to help us uh, find ways to move through our experiences in a more seamless and conscious way. It is that repetition uh, over and over again that using these tools, techniques, and uh, ways of uh, approaching yourself and your own experiences that will eventually establish these uh, patterns and habits uh, so that it becomes a subconscious function within yourself. It uh, essentially goes into the autonomic uh, nervous system and that you don't even need to think about it. So observing your own experiences, for example, do it enough and it becomes a pattern and a habit within yourself and it, it doesn't become something that you consciously always have to uh, focus on as it were. Well, in our workshops at the Alchem Experience uh, coaching and mentoring practice, uh, these are uh, techniques and tools we uh, teach to help people work through their processes and uh, also at uh, the Amethyst Chamber. So if you go to amethystchamber.co.uk, you can find uh, tools and techniques and courses that we work on to uh, help you uh, on your journey through life. Also, the concept uh, that I co-developed with uh, two other people, Barbie Layton and Tula uh, Shivalingam, called The Infinity Life, where we help you develop tools to deal with, uh, to help you deal with your core wounding and to clear energy blockages in your uh, own system uh, is called The Infinity Life and uh, you can access that at theinfinity.life. Well, I look forward to either working with you in the future or for you to come back here and listen to the next podcast uh, arriving next Friday and uh, either way, I'm happy that you're joining us and I will see you next time. Take care.